Welcome to Tech Insights from InfoTech Research Group, the podcast where our team of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. Is quantum computing the next chapter in technology innovation? After all, the theory behind the technology is almost 40 years old at this point. Isn't it time that it did something useful? At first, quantum computing just seemed like some far-off concept that most people didn't have to worry about. But heads started turning in 1994 when mathematician Peter Shore developed a quantum algorithm capable of breaking RSA encryption. Uh Uh-oh. Now suddenly, quantum computing was a security threat. But in 2020, it's become so much more than that. Quantum computing may be in its nascent days still, but there are a lot of serious players working hard to develop stable and useful quantum chips. Instead of your boring old binary bits, these new chips use qubits, which can either represent a 1 or a 0, and thanks to quantum weirdness of superposition, both at the same time. Just last year, Google announced that it had performed a quantum computation that is infeasible on any classical computer. That made some wonder if the golden grail of quantum supremacy is just around the corner. So is it? Answering that question is complicated. Much like a qubit in superposition, it's sort of yes and no at the same time. But we've seen a lot of advancements in quantum computing lately, and here to talk about them is my colleague and research director at Infotech Research Group, Adib Gubril. Welcome, Adib. Thanks, Brian. It's nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. We see each other every morning in our scrums, and now we are get to do this podcast together. So I'm excited. But Adib, tell our audience just briefly, why do we need quantum computing? Well, because we're always looking for something new, aren't we, as uh, as, a, as the human race? Uh, the... Um, the, the main reason why we're excited about this as scientists and really as humans is because it looks at the world in the manner that maybe we should look at it or we ought to have looked at it in the first place. Mm. Just like you mentioned, the behavior of a qubit more closely reflects what goes on in nature. And so inherently the idea is that if, 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 we, if, if the machinery that we're building is inherently similar to how nature behaves, then we ought to use it because it allows us to model it better, model nature better, understand nature better, and perhaps understand ourselves better. Makes sense to me. If you're actually using the fundamental processes of our universe to understand our universe, you'll get a little bit closer to actually uh, getting the real answers. So the quest for knowledge continues. But here today, we're actually going to talk about different quantum vendors that are making a lot of announcements here in the summer of 2020. And uh, you've been attending these briefings, Adib, so uh, you understand what's going on and why they're making a fuss. Let's start with Xanadu. Um, Tell us about this vendor and what they're doing. Well, whenever you've got, for our Canadian audience here, a Canadian upstart trying to shake things up, it's always nice. nice. It's, it's always nice to know. Now, some of the other folks on listening in may say, Canada, you know, n- nothing happens up here. But that's not the case when it comes to quantum. I would say that uh, the uh, the scientists and mathematicians 
participating in Canadian tech hubs are certainly in the in the leader pack, shall we say. Now, as far as Xanadu is concerned, they are one of the few hardware companies. So they are actually not simply looking at what can be done from an algorithmic standpoint. They're actually looking at what can be done from a physical standpoint. And, uh, and their take on it is to build a qubit using photons or, or a, a system of lasers. Well. So th that's interesting for us because the photonic qubit is amongst the most stable of the of the types of qubits, and it's often used in in telecommunication. But more on that later on. So go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Okay. So Xanadu, hardware company using light photons for to do their quantum computing, and there's all sorts of different approaches to how to actually execute on quantum computing. But uh, Xanadu is telling us that they have a quantum as a service approach. So uh, in these days, these these cloud uh, days, we, we use everything as a service. Now we have quantum as a service. What does that mean? This is a good this is good stuff. We want quantum as a service because as as uh, individuals, small to medium organizations, or even established multinationals, the best way to approach this new tech is to dabble with it. And, and, uh, and what we therefore need are partners who can provide us with the computing platform. Xanadu is one of, the, one, of the, one, one, one of those service providers. They understand that not everybody can have a quantum computer in their backyard. And so, and so given that they've got one, why not offer some time on it? And that's where this notion uh, is born. Now, they're not the leaders in this. There are other players who have been who have been offering quantum as a service for a few years now, but uh, but but Xanadu is is getting into it, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I see, I see a lot of people when they talk about quantum computing, sort of asking questions like, "Well, when am I going to have a quantum computer on my desktop?" And that's not really what quantum computing is going to be about. You don't need quantum computing to do the things you're doing every day, like surf the web, answer some emails make a PowerPoint deck, uh, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, it's your uh, normal computer, me, I've never, I've never done one, I've never downloaded the app, the security team keeps telling me not to, Adib, so I steer clear of it. I've seen your moves, you could easily do one. Yeah, the dancing, maybe, I'll, uh, I'll consider it, but uh, for now, I'll stick to the audio format of media creation. Anyway, uh, quantum computing, you don't need it. Your classic computer is good at making TikTok videos. Uh, won't help you dance better. But quantum computing, it's going to help us with a certain class of hard-to-compute things that classical computers aren't good at, but not everything that you're doing today. Let's move on to actually another Canadian-based company out in Burnaby, BC, D-Wave. And they're announcing the general availability of the first quantum computer built for business. That's all in capitals there. So this is a branded offering from D-Wave uh, saying that they have a 5,000 qubit advantage system. Um, so a lot of fancy brand names thrown around here. Um, 5,000 qubits sounds like a huge amount when you consider that um, the likes of IBM, Intel, or Google haven't even reached 100 qubits with their processors yet. But D-Wave has a different technique from those companies, and uh, it uses something called quantum annealing. 
Adib. Yeah, what does that mean? What is quantum annealing? This is D-Wave's way of saying uh, we don't want to uh, upset the apple cart too much. Is it a quantum computer? Yes, it is. But it is not a the kind of quantum computer that you could run a short algorithm on. So mm. let, let me backtrack. You mentioned the RSA encryption yeah. and how there was this big splash about quantum computing breaking that in a few seconds. Well, in order for that to work, you need to run something called a Shor algorithm, which runs very effectively on a quantum computer. But that's a general quantum computer, the kind that maybe Rigetti or IBM is building or maybe Xanadu is building. That's not the kind that D-Wave built. So D-Wave had a more pragmatic approach, if I may say so, whereby they, th they, th they saw that they could generate a physical qubit and play on some of the properties of entanglement to have to 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 come up with useful results that are not necessarily related to encryption, but specifically related to optimization. And this is where the excitement is. Many problems are optimization problems. So if I need to go to 30 places in a given amount of time, what should my approach be? Which place should I go first? Which place should I go last? That, and you can you can use that sort of problem st statement in many different applications. And, and I think you have a few that you're about to present here in a minute, so I'll, I'll leave you to it. But in a sense, if you want to think of D-Wave service, think of it as a optimization service. Right. And I think the optimization problem is often referred to as the traveling salesman problem, right? So you've got a salesman that's covering a huge territory like all of North America. He wants to travel to a certain number of cities uh, in a certain amount of time. What's the most efficient route to take and how long does he spend? These sort of things, right? And D-Wave um, in its event uh, highlighted some of the ways that it's optimizing for its real customers. So uh, in Western Canada, there's a grocery store called Save on Foods. That's right. A grocery store is using quantum computing, and it's been able to reduce the time of an important optimization task from 25 hours to a mere two minutes. Uh, so pretty impressive. It optimizes performance across a significant number of business parameters that is difficult with traditional computing. So, Adib, it's sort of vague to me. I, I really don't get, like, what are they optimizing exactly? But uh, what do you make of that time reduction? I mean, optimization is always a good thing. Why would you run something in a suboptimal manner? So mm. it, it makes good sense. But if you were to break it down and and given the number of dollars saved, the, the, the impact on one's bottom line may not uh, knock anybody's socks off. And, and so this is why there's this sort of a, a tepid response to all of this. Uh, th that grocery store is not the only one who went ahead and did something, and kudos to them for being forward-thinking. You have companies like Airbus, who's also thinking about how do we optimize the routes of our aircrafts? Or how do we optimize the loading in any aircraft at any one point in time? And, and again, and then you've got the financial folks, and maybe if I'm, I'm stealing some of your thunder here, Brian, but you've got some folks in investment in, in the investment world who are trying to optimize their portfolio. A lot of these use cases have generated a positive result. It is statistically significant. 
but is it materially significant? This is the part where everybody's being close chested on. So what does that tell us? It there are a couple of things that that uh, that sort of that sort of uh, is is uplifting about all this. A, the quantum sort of notions that we have are being validated. So from a, so the scientists are excited because the theories that they have are, are are being slowly slowly proven, and that's a good thing because they can rely on these for much bigger problems. So in other words, what we're doing right now with D-Wave leading the way is to sort of prepare for a much grander sort of achievement. Yeah, I mean, these are small problems that it's giving examples of solving here. And uh, maybe it's just trying to build the case that it has real clients and show that it ha its algorithms have some value today. Um, because, as you say, they, it wants us to think that it's on its way to some sort of huge breakthrough that's going to change the world. I mean, another example they gave is with Volkswagen, the, the auto manufacturer. They're using it for a paint shop scheduling application. So this algorithm helps to optimize the order in which the cars are painted, and that reduces the number of times that the color has to be switched. So you can imagine... Cars going down the assembly line. Some cars are red. Other cars are blue. Others are black. Um, you know, what what number of cars are which color? How many times should I change the paint? Apparently, this is math that's hard enough to do for quantum computing. Um, but Adib, I couldn't find out what this costs businesses to access. How expensive do we think this might be? Is Are, are people paying out the nose for this or what? They might be, especially if they like metallic purple for their cars. <laughs> I, I uh, again, I, I think the the right now we are in this sort of uh, what 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 some of the folks in the biz are calling noisy intermediate scale quantum phase, and in that in this phase, what can we do? It's a it's 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 a place. It's an incubation phase. Okay. We're not in the growth mode. We're in incubation mode. And in incubation mode, it's the playground for the scientists. Okay, and, th and that's what we're doing. We are making sure that our scientists out there, wherever they may be, are, are, are given the sandbox that they need to, to, to build that castle that they, they, they want to tinker with. Maybe I've taken this metaphor slightly too far, but, 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 but you get the point. So we are, so as, as, a, as, a, as analysts, we were excited about this because we want governments to keep funding the technology because we think it has merit. And of course, and, and the only thing, and the only people who can take us to the next step are the mathematicians, the data scientists, and the algorithms folks. So, um, and, and of course, the physical scientists. And and this is where this is what this is about. This is about giving the, the, the our scientists a a place to to develop this further. So okay. as far as so so forgive me. So as far as Volkswagen is concerned, did mm. it have a did it have an impact on their throughput? I'm sure it did. Uh, are they go, is it something that they can rely on day in day out? And will it have a material impact on their market share? Maybe not so much. Maybe mm. what Volkswagen needs is something much bigger than this. Maybe they need a, a they need a, uh, a, a a a stronger hybrid model to compete with what's going on in the, in the, in the market right now. 
to what's to what's going on in the way we live our lives. It's much bigger than what's happening on, on the production line. So this is what I mean by something being statistically significant versus materially significant. Right. Yeah. When you're solving these optimization problems, um, you're you're talking about efficiency, right? So you're talking about uh, lowering costs, doing getting cars off that line a little bit faster. Um, it's not like Volkswagen is going to capture a huge amount of market share with, with this sort of application, right? But um, you know, maybe that uh, is for another day once uh, you prove out some of these quantum computing use cases. Adib, let's get to what IBM is doing with its IBM Q network, or um, this is one that's been in operation for a number of years, right? And we talked about how Xanadu is offering quantum as a service. Similar idea here with IBM. They have a data center essentially in New York, and uh, that's where all of these quantum computers are housed. And if you're a research scientist or doing some sort of high-level math work, you can go on the IBM Q network and get in line to run your quantum algorithms. Apparently, it's reached a quarter of a million registered users uh, with access to these 22 quantum computing systems. That's uh, Numbers are getting big there. They are indeed, and they're believable. Uh, I believe the word is kiskit is the word that was uh, on your mind. You maybe can get it out, but the Kiskit network or the Kiskit language or the or the uh, development platform is indeed easy to use. I've used it. I'm logged in. I'm one of those twenty-five thousand or whatever they are, and I've managed to tinker with it. It is a, to my mind, a great learning tool. And uh, and uh, and I, and and by the way, uh, I'm not an IBM advocate per se. I, I'm just uh, I, I'm just a guy looking at the quantum landscape. Um, th does IBM have a leadership position in quantum as a service? Uh, surely they do, and uh, and and I think that other folks are trying to emulate this. I think this is why Xanadu thought, well, maybe we should get into th th this and you know get a piece of this particular pie. And and again, I thought that was a good thing. So back to IBM, the. The IBM computer is the general computer that I was talking about earlier. That's the one that you could simulate all sorts of algorithms and not necessarily just optimization algorithms. So when we're talking about that sandbox allowing scientists to play, really we're talking about services like the IBM service. And this is why scientists from all over the world have accounts with, the, with Qiskit and they are joining the forums, they're exchanging ideas, they're talking about, hey, how come this is not working? Can you help me out? And it's sort of this big kumbaya moment, <laughs> and, 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 and IBM is at the center of it, and we want more of that. We want to safeguard that. Yeah, what I like about IBM's approach to quantum computing is that it's about more than just the chip itself. Like everybody seems focused on how many qubits can we get onto this chip at a time? Like let's get quantum supremacy already. But IBM is saying, you know, there's a lot more to these computers than just the chips. For example, if you really want to uh, operate a quantum chip, you have to keep it in a totally climate-controlled environment where even uh, they have to be kept at basically uh, z like zero degrees Kelvin, like ab as close to absolute zero as possible to avoid th things like quantum interference. And that's like a science challenge in itself. So uh, that's what they've focused on developing and, and having that sort of 
skill set and capability to um, operate, you know, these computers at scale. Um, and they also have a roadmap out now. So we actually know what their plans are for their future chips and their future systems. So um, right now they have the 65 qubit Hummingbird chip. Uh, it's developing also a 127 qubit chip called the Eagle. And then eventually wants to re release the Osprey with 433 qubits. And, and apparently just by 2023, which uh, seems not far off at all, we'll have a 1,121 qubits Condor chip. And do you, what do you make of this roadmap and what's up with these bird names? Well, it's obviously the, they want to conjure the idea that we're flying high. My question is, is the Condor the best flyer out there and, uh, and or, or not? That's an interesting one. I think it might be. It's got a pretty good wingspan. The, um, the, the reason why IBM is touting these numbers is because they've got Moore's Law at the back of their mind. This idea of doubling processing power or in, in originally it was you know a number of transistors but it was quickly became a proxy for processing power so the idea of double, doubling processing power every 18 months or every year and a half if you go by the numbers that IBM is showing or, or their roadmap you would see, you could see that they are slightly ahead of Moore's law and I'm sure that that's exciting for them and and if you and if you sort of uh, extrapolate those numbers, you get to about a million qubits, which is I think the next big milestone. So a, a million qubits, let's call them logical qubits, or let's call it quantum volume, whatever sort of twist on that you want. But I want to hear the the number million. I think that's that's the key thing. Now, if you go by quantum Moore alone, you get there in about 14 years. If you go at the pace that IBM seems to be, you get there in about 11 years. Now, I, I a couple of years ago, I said 17 years, which which means we're right now we're at 15 years. I I didn't see any, and, I, and I, sorry, Brian, I think I might have sort of stolen your next question here, but maybe we can answer two questions in one. This idea of when when is this going to happen? You know, I said so. So we're right now in my mind, we're sitting at 15 years, and I think that's fairly aggressive, to be honest. Um, a lot of the players in Quantum want it to be shorter than that. They, they, they like the number 10, and everybody's hovering around this number 10. I think number 10 is a marketing number. I think my number is already aggressive enough. If we can get there in 15 years, we've done very, very well indeed. Uh, so, so why is IBM excited? Well, it's because of that. It's because they're right now they're, they're beating Moore's Law. Um, in, in terms of the, uh, the dilution chambers or those re refrigerators that you're talking about, Brian. Yeah, these super fridges. That's what IBM called them. I, I like this idea of having a super fridge. Is that something I can get from my kitchen or what is IBM talking about here? Oh, yeah. Only if, you, only if you're a materials chemist trying to generate the next uh, battery design. The, uh, the, um, the, the, those super fridges are pretty cool. In fact, some folks... Who, who are who are physicists, theoretical physicists or applied physicists, have cynically sort of commented to me in in in, in private that the only people making any money out of quantum are the makers of those fridges, <laughs> 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 because everybody needs one. Now, 
Now, to be to, to be so so, but um, but but okay. So to be fair, uh, it only this sort of fridge is only required for a certain kind of qubit, the kind that obviously IBM builds. It's a superconducting qubit, and uh, superconduction can happen unless you're at those millikelvins that you were mentioning, Brian. So the super fridge, what's the deal yeah. with that? Well, IBM is saying, listen, we've got this computer, the os- let's say the Osprey. We, we, can't, we may not be able to build a bigger Osprey anytime soon, but we can certainly stack the Ospreys. And if we stack them, we're going to need a bigger, we're gonna need a bigger room to stack them in. And that's where the super fridge or the, the comes in. Right. Okay. So the super, super fridge is about just being able to keep that critical temperature of absolute zero or as close to it as possible and, and, re, and to, uh, remove the uh, interference that would come up when you're uh, trying to scale your quantum computing capability. Right. And to do it in a bigger space okay. so that you can, you can have stacks of these chips. Well, I guess that's exciting. I thought I would get really cold beer, but I guess uh, quantum computing is also an exciting prospect. Anyway, that's all we have for today's episode of Tech Insights. Deep, thanks so much for telling me all about these quantum computing updates. It's my, it's my pleasure. Hope to do it again soon. Yeah, me too. And for our listeners of Tech Insights, thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to us on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. I'm your host, Brian Jackson.